Good day, everybody. This is uh, the Muni Poly Matters podcast. Once again, this is the Cantastic. I'm here once again uh, interviewing a variety of candidates running in the October's municipal election in Ontario. Uh, I'm starting to develop a bit of a theme here in uh, profiling new faces, uh, looking to make a splash on their local city councils. Just uh, try to uh, give some uh, uh, attention to uh, some of the new voices that are lo looking to try to uh, make an impact in their local communities. I'm very pleased uh, to welcome tonight uh, Mr. Kevin Rupasing. He is currently uh, a candidate running in Ward 20, Scarborough Southwest in the city of Toronto for city councillor. Kevin, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for, uh, thanks for asking, Alan. Uh, how about yourself? I'm doing, I'm doing great. Uh, I've had a lot of the conversations with a number of candidates uh, across uh, Ontario thus far, and I want to thank you again for uh, your time to, for this segment. And so I guess we'll just get right into it. Um, who Just maybe tell people about yourself. Like, who is Kevin Rupasing, and just maybe a bit about your life, you know, whatever, you, whatever you're comfortable on sharing. Uh, we just like to introduce yourself to the people. Sure thing. Yeah. Who is Kevin Erbsing? That's a, that's a good question. Um, so, uh, so for me, I, um, I'm the son of some Sri Lankan immigrants. So my family immigrated here um, uh, from Sri Lanka. I got an older sister as well. Uh, I grew up, I uh, spent most of my life in Toronto, but we moved around a few times and I grew up in the suburbs. And I think I had an experience probably pretty similar to a lot of newcomers and uh, the sense that my parents really wanted me to focus on school, you know, study hard, um, get a good job, and overall just have a better life than what they had back home. And that's a big part of why they uh, they came here. It was everything was for their kids to be um, more successful than they were. And I'd like to think I was able to fulfill that dream. Uh, you know, I did in fact study hard at school and um, went to university, uh, studied engineering for a few years, moved moved back to Toronto. Um, and uh, eventually, you know, settled down and had a nice, stable job. Um, but, uh, I mean, coming to the city, uh, for me, part of, uh, part of what that did for me was expose me to all the different ways that, you know, you could see people that were being left behind that aren't necessarily thriving in a city like Toronto. Um, you know, for me coming, coming back to the city as an adult for school meant that, um, I had some new eyes. And so, um, I started getting a lot more involved in things like advocacy and community organizing. And uh, in fact, that's how I found myself in this position now is uh, running for council. Um, okay. Uh, so, so did you always grow up in Scarborough or did you like grow up in another part of Toronto before settling in Scarborough? No, I've, I've moved around different parts of Toronto. I um, actually went to high school in Windsor, um, if you know where that is, in yeah. Windsor, Ontario. Uh, actually, I think you may have written about Windsor recently. Um, uh, yeah, I believe I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, right across the, from Detroit. Um, so I came back to Toronto for school and moved around a few times, but I live in Scarborough now. This is where I've sort of put my roots down in um, in Scarborough Southwest, which is where I'm running. And tell me a bit about your current professional background. Like you said you were you studied engineering and uh, like, so I guess you did a number of engineering jobs, I believe. On your website, you mentioned that you were your one of your most recent roles was a campaign manager for an advocacy group called Psycho Toronto. Do you want to tell me something about that? Yeah, certainly. So, so yeah, I used to be in uh, electrical and computer engineering. So I did that for a few years. Um, you know, I worked at uh, you know electrical company Toronto Hydro. Um, 
spent some time building, you know, solar powered electric cars, uh, worked at a software and computer chip company. Um, and over time, uh, you know, and that was, that was all well and good. Um, but I remember at some point I, um, I read one of the intergovernmental panel for climate change, the IPCC, um, one of their reports about the climate crisis and how, um, this, the scale and the scope of the challenge that was ahead. And I remember reading through this and being, you know, from an engineer perspective, it's always helpful to have numbers um, sitting there and reading through this and realizing that oh, we're, we're actually pretty hooped unless we start moving on this. That's what actually motivated me to to start getting involved in tackling that. And I realized I may not actually have the luxury that I thought I would have in pursuing the career I thought I would. Um, so I went back, I did my graduate studies in cities engineering. So looking at things like transportation, land use, um, sustainability, resilience. And concurrently, I, I also worked at Cycle Toronto and uh, Cycle Toronto is a, a charity. It's a, an advocacy organization, an education organization for, um, uh, for cycling. So cycling advocacy, cycling education, cycling encouragement. Um, I think for me, you know, I always biked around in the city. Um, it was one of the ways I got around, but I think it's something that most people feel very uncomfortable with. And at some point it became very clear to me that, you know, if my mother were to come visit, I certainly was not going to have her come on a bike ride with me. Um, or, you know, I may have had partners who felt uncomfortable cycling in the city. And um, to me, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, it's not just about the bikes. It's about the fact that it gives you access to jobs and opportunity. It gives you you get to learn more about your city. It's an affordable way of getting around. It's how people can maintain their physical and mental health. It's uh, It can help with congestion to get more people onto bikes. It helps with the climate crisis. It's one of these things that's intersectional and it was really rewarding to be able to work on that. And so that's actually where I got a lot of insight into what goes on in City Hall because I've had the chance to lead community organization, uh, you know, organizations and community groups um, that have pushed for various projects around Toronto and we've been successful um, I've really enjoyed being able to see the ins and outs of City Hall and actually meet some incredible people who, who care about things. Um, because it's it's funny, bike lanes and, and safe street infrastructure, it's not actually an engineering challenge, right? There's technical considerations, of course, but it's it's really there's policies and other invisible barriers. And it was really rewarding to be able to um, identify what those bottlenecks were regardless and, and help push projects forward. Um, I will say that's what gave me a lot of perspective into the fact that City Hall is not really able to work for everyone in the city. And while we might be stepping forward in uh, the right direction on a couple of things, we really need to be uh, moving much quicker on many more issues if we're going to um, be a successful city. Hmm. So. so you mentioned that you, through your work with Cycle Toronto, you did manage to work with city with the Toronto uh, city of Toronto in in moving forward some projects pertaining to more cycling infrastructure. So that's I guess an example of what is working in the city right now. But what sort of examples, if you care to divulge specifically, that were examples of what's not working at the city of Toronto that I guess at some points gave you the thought maybe I should run for council myself and try to change things. It's so a good question. And I think I should be clear, it's, it is much more than just um, just cycling, right? I mean, a lot of these projects would often be looking at a street in its entirety. How do we make this street work better for everybody? Um, I think often people on bikes are, are uh, a very clear area we need to improve streets, but they're dangerous or uncomfortable for people walking. Sometimes for businesses, they're not 
great places. You know, we don't have enough patios or parking spaces, enough greenery. Um, and often even for drivers, streets are not laid out um, or set up in a way that's safe or comfortable for people to drive. And so um, there's been a lot of, I would say, progress on initiatives that are like complete streets initiatives. Um, but you know, when we think about how many people get injured and killed in Toronto in collisions, um, just going about their day, going to school or to work or running an errand, um, we have a lot more work we need to do, even though we've had a couple of successful projects. Um, we certainly haven't been investing nearly enough in our transportation infrastructure, um, public transit and so on. Um, obviously, we have a housing crisis right now. And I think the fact that the elected officials we've had have gotten us to this point is very clear to me that they're not going to be able to ones be able to be the ones who get us out of it. Um, you know, we have a climate crisis. We have two council elections until 2030, which is a very important deadline if we're going to actually address some of our climate goals. Um, I think the list goes on and on. We've got crumbling infrastructure. We've got revenue challenges. Um, no doubt we were hit hard by the pandemic, but um, we also are starting to now see uh, the impact of decisions that have been made 5, 10, 20 years ago. Um, and it's time that we have some fresh leadership who can push the direction, uh, the city in the direction it needs to be going in. Okay. Yeah. You uh, you, meant, you you brought up a lot of uh, uh, specific uh, issues that are that are that you find are important. So let's uh, dive into do a little bit of a deep dive into a few of those. So affordable housing. Everybody seems to be talking about affordable housing these days as, as a major issue. Um, you know, city of Toronto is not like an outlier. All cities around the GTA, at least in, in, even in Canada, we're all experiencing a housing shortage. Uh, house prices are skyrocketing um, and, you know, it's going to be probably very high and it's going to be pricing a lot of people like you and me out of the market, I think, uh, in the foreseeable future. So specifically, you know, what, what are your proposals in order to try to like build more affordable housing or at least alleviate the housing crisis from a local's perspective? Like, you know, can you give me some specific uh, policy ideas that you have as a candidate? It's a good question. And um, I will say we haven't, my team and I have not released um, sort of our full housing platform just yet. Uh, certainly, and I think you, you can appreciate part of the job, of course, is having some ideas and vision and bringing that forward. But a big part of, a, a job, of the job of a counselor is also to hear from people in the community and make sure that their voices are heard and understood and brought forward as well. And so my team and I were out every day hearing from people at the porch, trying to understand um, what are the different priorities they have? What are their ideas, and what, how would they want to approach some of this? Um, so I'll just I'll just preface it with that. Um, I think that it is an incredibly complex issue. Um, I'm not going to pretend like I, I know exactly how to solve it. Um, it's cross jurisdictional. It's you know municipal, provincial, federal all have a role to play. Um, I think it's taken decades for us to get here. Um, you know, am I going to be able to turn that around within? you know, a couple of years in office as a city councillor? Probably not. But I think there are a lot of policies uh, around land use that are in the city's domain. I think when we talk about housing challenges that we're experiencing in the GTA and in other parts of Ontario or the country, I think certainly a lot of that is because Toronto has struggled to build enough housing, right? So there's always sort of a, a, a bubble that kind of, uh, you know, a ripple that, that casts out, right? Um, you know, phrases like drive till you qualify, that sort of thing contributes to the sprawl of our entire region, right? And so 
know, fundamentally, why do people want to live in a place like Toronto? Well, it's because they have access to opportunities, right? They have access to jobs, to education, to amenities, um, to experiences. I think making sure that we've actually invested in building enough housing for everybody here is important. And there's no question we need to be building more. Um, I think we have very limited tracts of land that we're allowed to let people build on. And so that leads to some very, some very high land prices that, you know, it's hard from a for-profit uh, market standpoint in order to make those numbers work. And so I think, you know, we need to be having a conversation about our market housing. We also need to be having a conversation about, um, you know, not market housing. You know, what is the role of government um, in actually being able to provide housing for people? Are there ways, um, you know, one example in between these two is is co-op housing. Scarborough Southwest actually has a great deal of co-op housing. Um, just for when some of these are, uh, some of our neighborhoods were built out, um, this was something that was much more invested in. And they're pretty incredible. Like they're very affordable places for people to live. They're well positioned within neighborhoods to be able to access amenities, but also still having green space and the quiet that I think a lot of people are looking for. And these are neighbors who've coexisted for 50 years, right? They're getting up. Some of them are getting towards the end of their mortgages now. And we have not invested in that type of housing. So I think there is you know, a role the city needs to be playing in advocating for some of these different creative solutions. And um, I think that while we may see the elected officials who got us here, um, they might occasionally vote one way, you know, the right way. Um, fundamentally, for me, this is this is my life, right? Um, it's as you can say, it, you know, this is. I'm sure you've got plenty of friends who can't afford to stay living here, right? I, like I know for sure that I have friends who are holding off starting a family because they can't, they don't know where they're going to be able to move, how they're going to be able to afford it, um, and you know, I don't want the city to just be people who are as privileged as you and I might be, you know, I, I'm sure we may, I'm, you know, we may be able to get by. Actually, I won't speak for yourself, but, you know, for me, I'll probably be okay. Right? I, you know, I'll, I'll manage somehow, I'm sure. But I don't want the city to just be people who are okay. I want the city to be people who are, you know, all the different people who make a city exciting and what it is need to be able to live here. And housing is one part of it. Transportation is another part of it. You know, land use, transportation, they are really two sides of one coin. And so, um, you know, in Scarborough here, I think we have incredible amenities. It's an incredible neighborhood, but it's often hard for people living here to get access to the jobs or the education that they need to. And so if we had a better way of moving people around, if we had invested in more of our transportation infrastructure, it alleviates some of the pressure um, from a housing standpoint in some of the more intensive locations in the city, right? And so I think we need to be talking about how do we spread some of that out? How do we help move people between the places they need to without actually pushing them further and further out into, um, you know, uh, encouraging sprawl and in our, yeah. our greenbelt, right? Yeah, I'm glad you brought up uh, transportation because uh, that is always a hot topic when it comes to uh, uh, cities and uh, the, the kind of policies that are going to help uh, alleviate uh, congestion and help move people around. Uh, Scarborough, I think, for as long as I've paid attention to municipal politics in terms of the whole transit issue has just been it's always about like the narrative is about the a subway or to replace the RT. I think for those of your, for the listeners out there who are not familiar with the Scarborough rapid transit system, it's, uh, I think it's been around since the 1970s and it's, uh, it's sort of just a small extension of the current subway network. It's not actually like a subway per se, but it's, uh, I think a lot, I think you and I and a lot of people agree that 
that system should have been replaced a long time ago. Um, so it seems like based on the current plans that are going forward, there the, the Scarborough subway is supposed to be built at least in the next decade or so. Um, I don't foresee anyone changing their mind at this point again. Uh, I think we've seen enough of that, but like, do you have any suggestions or proposals about uh, how to build more public transit or is there like some other uh, different uh, way you want to uh, push that policy file forward? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, like I say, there are still aspects of our platform that we're still looking through, but I think there are quite a few things I'm happy to share um, to talk about tonight. Um, I will say, I think fundamentally, one of the biggest challenges that's happened with Scarborough Transit is that decisions have been made by people um, who really don't actually rely on transit. Um, I think that's one of the challenges with the council and the elected officials we've got is that a lot of people here in Scarborough rely on transit. Not many of them actually are the ones who get elected to office. And so when decisions are made about, for example, when you talk about the Scarborough subway extension, um, of course, that'll be nice when it opens in 2031, 20, you know, 2032, something like that. But the Scarborough RT is actually so old that they have to shut it down for safety reasons by next year. So they're going to replace a train line with shuttle buses for seven, um, well, originally for seven years, and now they're going to just, it'll be a few years where shuttle buses are running on the road, and they've got to re retrofit the, the old train line to be a bus line, and then, you know, all this is going to happen while the subway is still being built, right? And this was because there was a lot of back and forth about what sort of issues, what sort of transit priorities there needed to be. We just had another decision recently about um, the Eglinton, uh, the Eglinton line. So this is a crosstown another light rail line that Toronto has been building. It goes through half, you know, about a third of Scarborough um, and it stops at Kennedy station, which is a, a major terminus here. Um, and there was always a plan to have this line extend further into Scarborough and actually serve the communities who have some of the least transit access. Um, and these are communities who really depend on, um, so I shouldn't say the least transit access, much of Scarborough has pretty robust bus service, um, but it's unreliable, it's crowded, it's slow, it's stuck in traffic. Um, so a lot of people have pushed for having more dedicated transit lines. And this decision recently was um, that in fact, we're not gonna be able to run this service continuously through Kennedy. We're gonna have to split it into two and run it totally separately. Everyone in Scarborough who wants to go from one side of Scarborough to the other is gonna have to get off and transfer if they wanna continue on their journey. This is exactly the problem the subway was supposed to fix is to stop people having to transfer in the same way Kennedy. So I think there's been a lot of meddling in transit in Scarborough, and I think a lot of these projects are long-term conversation in Scarborough traffic very often. Uh, Toronto's first bus lane, painted bus lane that we did, was in Scarborough. That was about two years ago. It was installed in a matter of weeks. Um, we have a real opportunity to be doing a lot more of that very quickly. Um, the way it was rolled out was probably not the best way. And it, of course, this was during a pandemic. I can understand there were some measures that were taken. But right now, we need to be thinking about how do we get more people to reliably use transit as quickly as possible. We can't be taking 10 years to build new transit lines and hope for those to be how we get people onto transit um, when we have eight years to meaningfully shift um, people onto transit for our climate goals, right? Um, I mean, Toronto has a goal that by 2030, 75% of all 
work to school work or school trips need to be biked, walked, or taken on transit um, that are shorter than five kilometers. And that's actually a lot of trips. A lot of trips that people take are less than five kilometers. We are nowhere near hitting that goal. Right? And so we need to be talking about how do we rapidly and aggressively get people onto transit. And we need to be focusing on how do we make our actual existing transit much better. So investing in more bus service. You know, How do we have a bus that comes every 10 minutes or even every five minutes? So you're not waiting for the bus for a long time. The bus by my house, they cut the service on that during COVID to 30 minutes. Um, and that bus is busy. Essential workers relied on that and it is always crowded. Um, you could ask, you know, the existing elected officials, when's the last time they took the bus? I think they might have to think for a little while, right? Um, we have a, a pretty extensive GO network here in Scarborough. The GO train runs through as well, um, but they're two separate systems, the Toronto Transit Commission and GO Transit, totally separate. We need to be talking about how do we get these systems to work better together so that if you're trying to get downtown from far out in Scarborough by the zoo, um, you're not taking a bus and then another bus and taking the subway and crowding that up, but Instead, you're paying one fare and getting onto a GO train that's also heading downtown. We have a lot of extra capacity on those lines. Um, so things like fare integration, things like more GO service, um, dedicated bus lines. And of course, one of the things we really need to be talking about in Scarborough in particular is how do we get people to safely be able to walk or bike for a lot of trips? Um, it doesn't mean for every trip, but if they're going to school down the street, you shouldn't have to get dropped off in a car, right? You should be able to safely be able to ride your bike or walk there. And that's one of the ways that we can also help alleviate um, a lot of the transportation challenges that we have. A lot of people in Scarborough are driving for trips that they probably wouldn't need to if they had safe and reliable other ways of getting around. Um, so I think we need to be having conversations about all of this stuff. Like it is all part of what we could be doing immediately. Um, I'm not interested in promising we're going to go build a bunch of other subway lines and so on. Um, those things are important, of course, for the long-term success of the city, um, but we need to be taking action now. Um, and those are some of the ways we could. Okay. Well, thank you for your answer. Uh, that was a very uh, in-depth, uh, there was a lot of detail there, even though you said uh, you're still developing your platform a little bit. Um, so I, I noticed that uh, when, uh, when I first noticed that you registered to run, it was right on May 2nd. So you were the first candidate to jump into this ward. Uh, since then, there have been others who have uh, started running. Uh, I, I it, it stood out to me because uh, you mentioned uh, the current counselor. Uh, so he's running again. And besides you, there are at least, I believe, five other candidates. So I think there's seven on the ballot right now, which is unusual for an incumbent to be challenged by so many uh, people. Um, and I guess my the, where I'm going with this line of questioning is that I'm wondering, how do you stand out among some of these other candidates that might have a bit of a higher profile, because I noticed besides the current counselor, there's also a former MPP for the uh, Scarborough Southwest riding, as well as one of the current school trustees, who's also running, I believe he ran last time, he's running again. So how does Kevin Rupersing stand out from amongst those other names that are running in this race? It's a good question. And I think um, we always knew there would be other candidates on the ballot. Um, there always are. Um, and it, it's challenging. Our, you know, our current voting system is uh, very biased, I would say, towards incumbents. Um, you know, most people, are, I think, are happy to vote for somebody other than the incumbent here. But typically, you know, you know people can't always agree on who and incumbents manage to continue on. Um, I will say and just, you know, I may not have, you know, just to give some perspective on how I ended up deciding to run. Um, I mean, for me, it was very clear that 
something needed to change, right? Um, like I, I, you know, I thought hard about what would happen if we went by this election and we kept with the same people that we had. And it was very clear to me, well, A, I will have hundreds of neighbors here in Scarborough get injured and killed in collisions between now and the next election. We have done almost nothing on things like road safety. Uh, I know I'll have a dozen friends that move out of the city because they can't afford to live here. And I think I mentioned that earlier. Um, and I know my kids are going to have to experience the ever worsening impacts of the climate crisis. We are already experiencing it. If we continue to do nothing or not do enough, um, my kids will have to experience those impacts even worse right here in Scarborough. And I think that's what made it clear that we needed to do something. And so I spent time looking in my community to see who was going to be in a position to be able to run, step up and run a winning campaign and who would be somebody that we needed to lead us going forward. And it became clear that I would have to take this on. This is something that I, I could not afford to see this election go by without some fresh perspective and somebody who's in this to win. So my team and I, we actually, we, you know, we've been working on this for quite some time. Um, we have a great team. We've developed a winning strategy. Like you say, I was in there right on May 2nd um, because that's what it's going to take to in order to win. Um, you know, you have to be able to fundraise your maximum amount. Um, we're well on our way to being able to do that. Uh, I left my job in order to focus on this full time uh, because that's the sort of thing it will take. The, the context here is, you know, of course, Toronto's council got cut in half last election. And so um, the the amount of space we have, to, you know, the, the geographic scope and the number of people, it's about 110,000 people um, that you have to run um, and try and persuade. And so we're out door knocking every day. We're out running a winning campaign. And I think that what we're hearing at the door is that people, you know, you mentioned some people who may have higher profile. I think a lot of people have seen what the people we've already had have been able to do, um, whether it's, you know, different levels of government. I think they are very keen on having somebody who actually lives in the neighborhood and who is willing to fight for the things we need, someone who's fresh and willing to go in a different direction. Because I think everybody else has had, you know, some of the folks you mentioned, they've had a kick at the can. And I think that we are really hearing at the porch that people are sick of it. They want someone new um, to meet. To, to lead the city going forward, right? The folks we had in the past, they're just not going to be the ones who can do it. And so I'm very confident that what we're going to see is um, a lot of support. Uh, well, we're already starting to see that uh, for our campaign, but as things really heat up in September, October, I think it's going to be very clear that um, my neighbors, they want someone fresh. Oh, and you just unmute Alan. So. Yes, thank you very much. Sorry about that. So you mentioned um, that uh, the council cuts uh, from 2018 was um, very uh, dramatic. Um, I want to bring up another um, dramatic thing that the provincial government did during the, the first term, which was to uh, remove the option of ranked ballots. And I believe you wrote an op-ed in the Toronto Star about this issue. So I agree with, I agree with you on the subject. So I don't think there's much debate there. I guess my question would be, looks like going forward, this government, provincial government is going to be in here for a while, and it seems that they would be the only ones that would could reverse that decision to allow cities to do ranked balloting. Now that it seems likely that they're not going to be doing that, how do you think people who support this idea can go forward in promoting this? Because it doesn't seem like there's an avenue to um, get this moving forward, if at all. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm glad you saw that I, I, I did write about this. Um, I mean, a lot of the issues I, I've talked about today, I think, 
really come down to, you know, if we want to see movement on any of these issues, whether it's housing, poverty, climate, transit, whatever, I think it starts by electing a council or electing government that better reflects the experiences and the priorities of people that we have. And the systems we have right now, they they aren't going to be able to do that, right? You can win with 25% of the vote. Um, three quarters of people may not actually want you, and yet you still manage to win. And so to me, a ranked ballot is a real opportunity at, you know, at a system level to actually change who is getting elected, who's who's actually feeling like they're even going to raise their hand to run. A lot of good candidates, they choose not to run because they know this system is is very biased uh, against them, right? And, you know, Alan, you, folks like you and I are totally underrepresented on council, right? Half, half of Toronto are renters. Um, half of, about half of Toronto are visible minorities. Uh, half of Toronto are women. Um, where are any of them on Toronto City Council, right? The council just does not look like um, the rest of the city. And so having something like a ranked ballot, I think, is fundamentally one of the most crucial things that I could achieve as a counselor. It would, it would in fact mean I don't even have to do this anymore because there's a lot of other good candidates who would be well positioned to be able to take on um, the role of serving their community. And so for me, I think it is, you know, while there, you know, there's roadblocks ahead, I think it is absolutely, you know, fighting for a more representative and a more transparent and a fairer democracy is absolutely a good use of my energy. I think that when the province chose to ban this, it was, you know, in a pandemic, they had some rationale at the time about maybe not changing things up um, uh, for cities in the uh, the 2022 elections. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, but I think there is a very viable path forward, even for 2026, because, um, well, certainly it's a popular issue. Right. I think we saw all three opposition parties um, said they would they would commit to giving giving back local choice to uh, to cities across Ontario. Um Certainly the mayor and most of council in Toronto are supportive of this. And I think that I would expect we would um, continue to see movement on this in terms of asking the province for this to be something that um, is granted again to cities across across um, Ontario. And you know, I certainly look forward to working with the mayor on this particular issue in terms of getting advocating to the province that we're allowed to that, that, that cities should have their own autonomy to choose their own voting systems. Um, and I think this is actually part of an even broader conversation that needs to be had about what is this provincial government's um, tendency to overrule uh, municipal issues, right? I think the council cut in half is is one great example. The banning of ranked ballots is another. I think there is going to be a much more robust conversation in this term of council about how do we as a city, a city of 3 million people, you know, larger than most provinces in Canada, the fact that we technically can't do any of the things that we need to, whether it's how we choose our electoral system, how we choose our governance, you know, uh, structure, um, even things like our revenue tools, right? I mean, we are larger than most provinces, but we can't access the same uh, tools to, to get the money that we need in order to support all of the services that people expect Toronto to have, right, around housing and transportation and so on. So I think there is a real viable path forward um, in terms of having those conversations and, you know, I'm not looking to get elected so I can say, well, these are hard problems and I can't do anything about it. Uh, I think there's always a path forward. And part of the job is to be able to work with other levels of government and people you don't always agree with to figure out how we're going to we're going to do this. So I'm very much looking forward to 2026 being a municipal election with ranked ballots across uh, numerous cities in Ontario. Well, with any luck in 2026, we might see Kevin Rupasing's name on the ballot as the uh, uh, hopefully seeking a second term as a councillor. Uh, but 
for now, I want to thank you for this time and I wish you the best of luck in your campaign. Um, Kevin, where can people find you on social media and online if they want to reach out to you and make contact? Um, so best way would be to go to my website, which is if you go to kevrup.ca, K-E-V-R-U-P.ca. Um, social media handles are just my name, Kevin Rupasing. Um, and the nice thing is, um, you know, grassroots campaigns, they really do need a lot of people to get behind them. And so um, anyone in Ontario can donate to municipal campaigns. And in Toronto, we have a rebate program that gives you back up to 75% back. So if you're interested in making a contribution, certainly, uh, certainly happy to have that. Volunteers as well are, are very much needed. Um, there's a lot of ground to cover and a lot of people to talk to. Um, so if you'd like to get involved that way, again, the website's www.kevroop.ca. Okay. Uh, thank you again, Kevin. Um, I will include uh, all your uh, contacts in, in the uh, notes uh, for the video that will be released in the post later. And once again, uh, this is Kevin Rupasing. He's running in Ward 20, Scarborough Southwest. Uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with where the ward is, I believe it is between Victoria Park and Markham Road and south of, is it Eglinton? South of Eglinton. Uh, yeah, well, so anyway, anyway, um, if you know where the Scarborough Bluffs are, I think that's the easiest uh, <laughs> uh, that's a, um, a, a landmark to uh, figure out where the Absolutely. ward is. Yes, okay. And with that, thank you, Kevin, for uh, this time. And uh, this is the Muni Poly Matters podcast. I am the Cantastic signing off. Have a good evening. Thanks very much.